Welcome to the Sunset Community Church podcast. You're listening to sermon audio from our Sunday morning services. For more information about Sunset Community Church, visit us online at sunsetcommunity.church. So I, I can't help myself a little bit. I, you know, I've just been complaining about the weather a little bit. Uh, but then I was reminded this morning, uh, last year when it was 115 degrees and literally the trees in my neighborhood were singeing because of how hot it was. So we know summer will get here eventually. It'll be here. Uh, yeah, exactly. July 12th, right? That's when summer starts in Seattle. You know, if someone uh, came up to me in our church and said, I'm having a crisis of faith, I would, I would immediately wonder what is causing them to doubt their belief in Jesus, their Christian beliefs. Is it that God feels distant? Uh, maybe it's disgust at what they see other Christians do and say. Or maybe it's uh, just years of apathy and doubt in their own faith that have led them to the place where they just don't know if they even care anymore. Whether you're a Christian or not, at some point, the things that you believe will get challenged, whether it's Christian faith or uh, faith in a person or a belief system, whatever it would be, at some point, we all face these moments where our beliefs are challenged. I remember years ago, I was on a, uh, a very crowded train ride in the country of China, and uh, sorry, let me just get to you. Can you put it up on the, the title slide there, Isaac? There you go, thanks. I was on this crowded, this crowded train uh, in China, and I was, I think, the only white guy on the train. Uh, I was riding coach, and uh, I didn't really speak Chinese, which was challenging to travel around China by train. And uh, a student on the train who was learning English saw me. I stuck out. <laughs> and they were learning English. They thought, this is a great opportunity to practice my English, because this guy's probably from the United States. And so the student came up to me, a uh, young man, and we had a long train ride, hours, to talk. And his English was actually pretty good. And so we just began to share stories about culture and holidays and education and things we believed and why we believed it. So we began to talk about the idea of God. And this particular um, student didn't believe in God, and that's the atheist kind of underlaying of the, the Communist Party in China. And that's, that's in all of their education. There, there is no God. Uh, religion's evil, um, that kind of thing. And, and as we began to discuss uh, his beliefs, I shared, well, I, I believe that there's a God. And it was as if I had said something revolutionary. Because in his culture, whatever your teacher says, whatever your parent says, is truth. You're not to question that truth at all. And I said, well, what do you think about this and that? And I began to share some of the, the basics of the Christian faith. And his eyes began to expand because he had never heard this before. He'd never heard the possibility that there was a God who created everything. And by the end of our conversation, he said, I would like to believe what you believe someday. <laughs> But he still, because of the cultural pressure on him, knew he couldn't go there yet. And, and I remember thinking to myself, wow, I, I know a lot of Christians that have had crises of faith. This is the first time I've ever sat with a communist atheist 
who is having a bit of a crisis of faith right there on the train. That, so all of us, at some point or another, we're going to question what we believe. But one of the things that I, I've been finding interesting as we've been walking through the Gospel of Mark together is what if the person that is causing the crisis of faith in your beliefs is Jesus? What if he is causing the crisis of faith? And let me explain a little bit. Uh, as we walk through the Gospel of Mark, maybe you've noticed this to be true, that Jesus has an interaction, and, and people, their response is like, what? How could this happen? It, it, it calls into question everything they believed before. One, one example we see is Jesus does a miracle. He, he heals somebody. He multiplies food. He walks on waters. And, and everybody that's had a naturalistic express, uh, uh, belief in the world goes, wait a second, is this possible? They have a crisis of faith in their beliefs. Or this other thing, this, that in culture there was such a hierarchy in the ancient world. Men were at the top. Women were a distant, distant second. Children were not even on the, on the scale. And Jesus says to his followers and to those who will be with him that children are equal with men and women. That women are equal with men. There's this equality in the kingdom of God. And all of a sudden, people are having a crisis in their belief. Wait a second. This isn't what the culture says. How could this be true? And then Jesus, as he's walking with his disciples, they begin to see that he has this authority because of what he's saying, because of who's showing up. And they think he's the Messiah. He's the king. And Jesus says, I, I am, and I'm going to die. And they go, wait a second. That's not what we thought the Messiah would do. They have a crisis of faith. And so we see that in Mark's gospel, Jesus is often the reason that people are having a crisis in what they believe and why they believe it. And if we're honest, that's how all of us came to believe in Jesus, right? We had been living a certain way. We had believe, been believing a certain thing. And then God reveals himself to us in the person of Jesus. And we go, oh, I was wrong. <laughs> I was wrong. I, I, he, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. So each of us has this type of interaction with Jesus. Whether we, where he interrupts our life. And what we've seen time and again is how Jesus is too liberal for conservatives and too conservative for liberals. And if your mind is going to American politics, stop, because <laughs> those are loaded words, aren't they? No, no, think about this. There's a moment where Jesus, uh, his disciples are, are eating and they haven't washed their hands according to the Jewish customs of the day. And the very conservative people are saying, Time out. Why haven't they washed their hands, right? They've added extra things into this. Jesus said, that's not important. So he's too liberal for the conservatives, right? But, that, but there's another point where, where, the, where he says, hey, we, we talked about this last week. Sin is serious. Like disobeying God is serious. It's so serious that you ought to be willing to cut out. He uses the illustration of cutting off limbs, gouging out eye. Cut out those things that would cause you to sin. Whoa, time out. <laughs> that's, that's too, too liberal, <laughs> right? I mean, too conservative for the liberals, right? So he, he does these things. So, so when we think of crisis of faith, they're good when they really cause us to consider what we believe and why we believe it. When our beliefs are challenged, then we also reevaluate our behaviors. And we might ask if they match up with our beliefs. And if they don't, what needs to be changed? 
So in our text today, Jesus is going to be asked a very specific question by this group of religious leaders. And the question is about divorce. And there's a good chance that Jesus' answer is going to cause as much discomfort in this room as it did back then. So I just want to prepare you for that. We don't read Jesus' words from within some sort of cultural bubble. Some in our church family have experienced divorce. Some may be contemplating it right now. And some of you who aren't married may be wondering about the definition of marriage in a current cultural climate that is trying to do away with any definition of anything. So while the point of this passage that we're going to look at today isn't to be this comprehensive uh, look at marriage and divorce, what it will push us to consider is the heart of God's purpose and design. And it will also make us ask, do we believe Jesus? And if we believe Jesus, belief is only one part of our faith. Our Christian faith is absolutely useless if we don't let the words and the ways of Christ cause us to action. They, unless they bring about some sort of transformation in us. Then we're just nodding to like a, a nice moral message on a Sunday, right? So the crisis for us is will we actually act on the words of Jesus this morning? And I hope that we will. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open to Mark chapter 10, verses 1 through 12. Mark chapter 10, 1 through 12. We'll go ahead and read this together. And then we're going to jump into it. Mark chapter 10, verses 1 through 12. Jesus then left that place and went into the region of Judea and across the Jordan. Again, crowds of people came to him, and as was his custom... He taught them. Some Pharisees came and tested him by asking, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? What did Moses command you? He replied. Well, they said, Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. It was because your hearts were hard that Moses wrote you this, Jesus replied. But at the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. And the two will become one flesh, so they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. When they were in the house again, the disciples asked Jesus about this. He answered, anyone who divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another man, she commits adultery. Father, this morning we ask that we would understand these words, we would understand your heart, that we wouldn't walk away uh, hearing a message and not applying it to our lives, that we would have a full faith, a faith that believes and acts, a faith that receives and changes, a faith that says yes to you in word and in deed. And so, Father, would you speak to us your heart this morning? May we separate it from the culture, from our political leanings, from whatever, uh, whatever personal kind of reaction we might have and hear you clearly. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, so let's set the context here. What is really happening? What's, what's, the, what's the start of this conversation? What's the main issue? The main issue 
is that the Pharisees were coming to test Jesus. They were coming to test him. At this point, they were set against him. They didn't like the influence he had. They didn't like what he was stirring up in the culture. They didn't like the power that he was was gaining uh, from the people that were showing up to hear him preach. They just didn't like Jesus. We know where this leads. And so they come to him, and they test him. They were trying to find a question that would put Jesus on the spot. And one that is relevant both in the religious culture of their day and in the social culture of the day. So they found the one, divorce. Let's ask him about divorce. Now, I don't know what huddle they had before then to come up with this particular topic, but they thought this might be a gotcha for Jesus. We'll see what he says. So, again, they were concerned with Jesus because he was causing a crisis in the religious order of the day. Not that they were... these. Pharisees were necessarily doubting their own faith, but their ways and their beliefs were being threatened by his. So while this question they use is about divorce, and we're going to get into that today. We're not going to avoid that. While that's what it's about, we have to keep this context in mind. This was done to try and trip up Jesus. This is why it was brought up. It's like when I was a youth pastor and I used to have some of my students coming and asking me a question about some moral thing, you know, whether it was drug use or sleeping with their girlfriend or whatever it would be. And I knew why they were asking the question, right? They were looking for an answer that would serve them well. <laughs> and half the time when kids would come and ask me these questions, I would answer the question and they would say, oh, man. That sounds a lot like what my parents said. And I would say, your parents were right. (laughs) And they would walk away dejected because it didn't match up with their lifestyle, right? What the, the decisions they wanted to make. So usually when people ask questions like this, they're looking for a self serving answer. In this case, the Pharisees were trying to get Jesus to, to, they're trying to manipulate Jesus by asking this question. Now, one of the things I want to be careful of as a pastor is. I want to be careful that I don't create the perception that you can't read the Bible for yourself and understand it. That you can't read this text and go, oh, I get what is being said. You you don't have to know the Greek language or, or gone to seminary for a number of years. You can just read God's word and that he will show you what it means. So I want to be careful to never create that perception that as a believer, you can't figure out what God is saying. But in saying that, the Bible was written to a specific people, in a specific time, in a specific culture. And so when we approach God's word, we can't approach it from a 21st century perspective. We need to approach it from a first century lens, going, okay, what was going on then? And then bridge that to our day today, right? And so Jesus responds to their question by asking them a question that is very culturally rooted. So if somebody were to come and ask me this question, I would not respond how Jesus responds in this message. How does he respond? He says this, what did Moses command you? So they're coming and asking him this question. He says, what did Moses command you? So there's a cultural context here. They were rooted in the Old Testament law. They said, Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. Jesus says, it was because your hearts were hard that Moses wrote you this law. So Jesus sees through the test. And notice that he personalizes the issue of divorce and he draws a line from 1,300 years prior to when Moses gave this command. 
to their day today, to write to the first century. And he says, it was because your hearts were hard. I can imagine they're like, wait, we weren't there 1,300 years ago. What is he talking about? Humanity. The human heart was hard. Divorce was a reality. It was going to happen. And so this law was given because of sin, not because this was God's plan. So when the Pharisees ask this question and Jesus responds, there's a whole lot of cultural things surrounding it that go without saying. Are you familiar with that phrase, go without saying? That's kind of an American idiom. So it's like, uh, do we need to say what songs we're going to sing on Christmas Eve? Right, it goes without saying, we're going to sing Christmas songs on Christmas Eve, right? Uh, Or if you grew up in America, uh, you were taught, it kind of goes without saying, you were taught to do what when you met somebody and you shook their hand? You looked them in the eyes, right? It goes without saying, except that in some cultures, that's actually rude. And so we have to understand the cultural differences that go without saying in some cultures and not in others. And so there is a culture that this was being presented in. And so Jesus grounds it in what they would understand about divorce. What goes without saying in Jesus' response, pushing them to Moses' time, is that divorce, while it may be permitted in the current social and cultural law, divorce was never good. And it was never God's will. Now, no matter what, people are going to do what they want. So in the day of Moses, the certificate of divorce that the Pharisees were remembering was actually a legal way of protecting women. Because back in those times, adultery was punishable by death. So if a man were to run out on his wife to just stop being married to her, and there wasn't any proof that their marriage had stopped, she would suffer the consequences of his decision. And so because of the hardness of heart, Moses made a law that would protect the woman in that context, that would prove that there was a dissolution of marriage, that would protect the woman from false accusations. And because of the man's sin, it would not keep her from remarrying. So women were very vulnerable in the ancient Near East. So you want to know where divorce comes from, that's That's kind of the legal side of things. But Jesus doesn't want to wade into the nuances of divorce and the reasons for divorce. He actually wants to get past the test, and he wants to get to the heart of the matter. The heart of the matter is that divorce is the result of sinful and hard hearts. But if this is the test question, what Jesus wants to do is talk about the intention of marriage. Divorce is the broken end of marriage. What about the beginning? And so Jesus responds. He says, at the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they're no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate it. So instead of talking about the legit reasons for divorce or the legal technicalities to enact it, which is what the Pharisees were trying to get him to do, Jesus instead wants to ground the conversation the powerful design and purpose of marriage in the beginning, in God's beautiful intention. So it may go without saying, but Jesus says this as a pointing back to the creation design before sin entered the world. This was God's good and beautiful purpose. 
And so as Jesus says this, we can see a few things about marriage that are important. One is that marriage, according to Jesus, is created by God. If you're going to define marriage differently than that, you cannot root it in the very beginning. Jesus wants to reaffirm the reality that God made man and woman. God made them. So marriage as an institution is part of God's created design. And because of that, marriage is defined by God. And how does he define it? It's between a man and a woman. Similar and different at the same time. Similar and different. There's a complementary. They, they literally fit together, man and women. If you don't know what I'm talking about, then we can have a conversation after. So. <laughs> the third one is that marriage according to Jesus is a covenant made before God. That fitting together, that sexual union, is a powerful demonstration of one flesh unity. It demonstrates the unity of man and woman. The two become one. Powerful symbolism in what marriage is as a covenant before God. So with these things in mind, divorce is a breaking of that God-designed covenant. And it's a ripping apart of that unity. If marriage as a covenant and sexual union between a man and a woman is what brings them together, then divorce is a tearing. But it's not a, it's not a perfect tear. Have you ever glued two pieces of paper together and then tried to rip them apart? There's a... There's, a, there's repercussions for that divorce, and we feel that. Those of you that have been through divorce, that are the children of divorced parents, you feel that ripping. And so this is why divorce is no small thing in the kingdom of God, but it's also no small thing in our culture today. Whether you're a believer or not, look at every top five list of the most stressful things in our world that you can experience. It goes in this order. Every list. I looked up a bunch of them. Death, divorce. Death and divorce. The two most stressful things that you can encounter, that you can go through in your life. Why? Because in both instances, there is a tearing of relationship. There's a rupture in God's good and perfect design. Death, we, we, we talked about this during Easter, is unnatural. That's why Jesus came to, to make a way through death. And divorce, being a symbol of the covenant of God, is also unnatural. There is a tearing that happens. Now, we don't get the Pharisees' response to Jesus, but the conversation continues. Because his disciples are having a bit of crisis themselves. They're wrestling with what Jesus said and how he said it. So Jesus, in a kind of a side conversation with them, after he answers the Pharisees, says this, when they were in the house again, the disciples asked Jesus about what he just said. He answered, anyone who divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another man, she commits adultery. Now here again, there are some cultural elements at play that would have hit a lot harder then than they probably do today. But Jesus is holding up a high standard of the marriage commitment. 
But contrary to the Jewish culture of the day, the men are also being held responsible. Back in Jesus' day, they wouldn't have been. But the men are held just as responsible as the woman. Whoever instigates the divorce, Jesus says, is held liable for that. And we see how this was not a popular uh, belief earlier in Mark's gospel. John the Baptist lost his life because he called out this type of adultery, this divorce and leave her husband, in the king. If you remember this, King Herod literally, John lost his life, lost his head because he called out this type of sin. So just as Jesus has previously, just before this, illustrated the seriousness of sin, this interaction with the Pharisees, Jesus emphasizes the seriousness of the marriage covenant. It's important in God's design. So we might ask the question today, are there biblical grounds for divorce? Again, Jesus doesn't wade into that, but I want to briefly address that here in our church building. You know, married life is a lot different now than it was in Jesus' time. But also, married life now in 2022 is a lot different than it was in America just 100 or so years ago. Uh, These days, spouses depart early in the morning. Uh, They touch bases briefly in the evening. They parent their children on the go, in the car. Many marriages become co-worker relationships, and they lose intimacy, and they lose friendship. The Christian band Casting Crowns wrote this song called A Slow Fade, the idea that marriages don't just blow up one day. It's a slow walking away from each other. One of the illustrations I use when I meet with couples is I talk about postures. When Usually when you first get married, your posture toward each other is face-to-face. Intimacy, right? There's, there's, a, there's a deep love and affection. There's all sorts of hormones firing and things happening in your life. You are in love with each other. And then over time, you start to move shoulder to shoulder. You're, you're walking through life together. Tough things have happened. Kids are now in the picture, all of these things. But over time, if you're not careful, that shoulder to shoulder becomes back to back, and you start to move in different directions. And so this is a reality in our culture. Many marriages become co-worker relationships, and they lose that intimacy and that friendship. Some years ago, I had this couple... Uh, appear in our church, not this church, but a previous church I was pastoring at. And they sat in the back row for, for about three weeks. And they left early so that nobody could meet them. And eventually the, the, the man came up to me and he says, hey, I'd like to talk to you about officiating um, our marriage. And I said, oh, wow, okay, let's talk. And so we sat down in my office the next week and his fiance was with him. And I said, hey, tell me about, a little bit about your background. And he says, well, you know, I was married before and I have, I have a daughter from that marriage. And I said, tell me why, you know, why that marriage um, broke up. And he said, you know, I just wasn't feeling it anymore. Just wasn't feeling the love. And as he is, and I appreciated his honesty, as I was looking at him, I then looked at her. And I'm thinking, I, I wonder if she's thinking what will happen when he feels the same about me. But you know what? I didn't wait for her to say that. I just looked at her and I said, do you think he might eventually feel the same way about you? And I said, if you're wanting to get married be- just because of a feeling that may come and go and fade, this marriage isn't going to last. And if you left your last wife just because you weren't feeling it, then you don't understand what marriage is really about. Needless to say, they didn't ask me to marry them. 
and I wouldn't have eaten anyways. <laughs> so as Christians, it's, it's very important that we understand what marriage really is. A, a covenant is not a party. You know, so many, so many weddings today, it's just a party. It's just an opportunity. We've already been living together. We've all been already been doing the things that married couples do. We'll, we'll throw a party just, to, just so our friends can celebrate our life with us. But there's no covenant. There's no commitment. It is, it is barely before God. It's just a party. And so as Christians, when, we, when a marriage is approached that way, then we lose the beautiful design of God. And so we need to understand, especially if you are married today, we need to differentiate between different aspects of marriage that are going to be a reality or could be a reality for us. So there is a difference between a difficult marriage, a disappointing marriage, and a destructive marriage. There's a difference, I'm going to say it one more time. There's a difference between a difficult marriage, a disappointing marriage, and a destructive marriage. A, a, a difficult marriage, guess what? Almost everybody has one at some point, right? You, you, you communicate wrongly. You have different expectations about who's going to take out the trash and who's going to do what. And like, difficulty is a part of marriage. There's conflicts, all of these things. That's not a reason to get divorced, a, a disappointing marriage. Well, this is true, right? Many people marry their spouse and they see all of their flaws in full, full view and they think, that's okay. I'm going to change them. <laughs> a few years later, they haven't changed. <laughs> and so you're disappointed in, in who they are. I, I see this in, in so, many, so many different toxic ways, both for men and women. And so they think, oh, maybe there's somebody else out there that won't be as disappointing to me. And so they leave their spouse just because they're disappointed they're not, their spouse isn't where they should be. That's not a reason to get divorced. The third one is a destructive marriage. And there is some instructions from Scripture. Again, not in Mark's chapter, but in a parallel passage, Matthew 19, where Jesus talks about sexual immorality. When the two become one, but one of those is also having sexual relationships with somebody that's not their spouse. That's According to Jesus, grounds for divorce. Now, that is not always what happens. Sometimes couples where that happens, it's brutal, and it's a tearing of that, that covenant, but there is a reconciliation and a restoration that's happened. But if it's willful, continued, and sinful, then that's grounds. There's a breaking of that marriage covenant. So destructive marriage could include sexual immorality. It could include abandonment. 1 Corinthians 7 talks about this. Where Paul says, hey, if, if you have a spouse who's not a believer that just leaves you, you are free to, to make that official, to make that divorce official at that point, to be remarried. And I would say uh, physical abuse or unrepentant sin that is destructive to the one flesh vision of marriage could also be grounds for divorce. Now, I know a number of folks uh, in the room, in this room, have experienced divorce before. Some of you before you were a Christian, some of you as a follower of Jesus. Some of you didn't want the divorce. Some of you maybe initiated the divorce. So if this morning you're hearing this message and you're realizing that your reasons for divorce were sinful, I don't want you to sit in the shame of that decision. First John says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. 
This doesn't just apply to like your secret sins. This applies to all of your sins. And so if you realize that you were wrong, that you were in error, that you broke a covenant relationship, know that it is not too great a sin to be forgiven and to be made whole again. The biblical understanding of repentance is a change of heart and of mind and a receiving of God's purifying forgiveness. Now, what this doesn't mean is that we get to go back and undo what we have done. There are consequences for our sin. And I have heard beautiful stories of couples that that separated or that divorced and that eventually repented and God changed their hearts and they got remarried. But sometimes that's not possible. And so while we may not be able to undo what we've done in the past, we do right today have an opportunity to model repentance. Maybe that means going to your ex-spouse and repenting and asking for forgiveness. Maybe it means going to your children that were affected by that divorce and asking for forgiveness. You still have an opportunity, even if you can't undo all of the things, to model First John, to model what Jesus does in your life as you seek forgiveness. So repentance and forgiveness, they are so powerful. They are life-changing works of the Holy Spirit in our lives. You know, statistics show that the divorce rate among those who regularly attend church gatherings is actually lower than those that don't. So depending on whether you're a Christian or not, if you regularly attend church, this sounds really like pastor self-serving, doesn't it? Your divorce rate is lower. The, the, the percentages are 38% to 60%. But listen to that. 38% is still, whether you go to church or not, is still a high divorce rate in the church. And there are all sorts of things in marriages that can cause stress. And stress, as we know, breaks things. So the stresses in marriages, oftentimes I, I talk through these before couples get married. Expectations. Uh, you expect your spouse to, to be a certain way, to do a certain thing, and they don't meet your expectations. That becomes a stress point in your marriage. That could be the point, that, the thing that breaks your marriage apart. Some of those expectations are even unspoken. I've, so many couples I've met with before, they have these expectations of their spouse, but they never tell them what those expectations are. And they let that inwardly break apart their marriage. With that is the idea of communication. Uh, there's a book written years ago, Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus, and the author of the book basically said, it's like we're speaking two different languages. How many of you in marriage can relate to that? Yeah, okay. <laughs> communication is another stress point. If you don't have healthy communication in your marriage, that can be the point where your marriage begins to break apart. Other things like finances or crises, like job loss or death or health, all of these things can become, if unchecked in our marriages, stress points that could break apart our relationship with each other. Six months into my marriage with my wife, I remember we sat down and we had like a little check-in. Like, okay, we've been married six months. How are we doing? <laughs> and she goes, let me tell you something. She said, you're really good at throwing your laundry at the hamper, but it doesn't make it in half the time. And I said, listen, 50% is a pretty good shooting percentage. Uh, she goes, and I said, I, I hear you. I will make sure that if I miss, I'll put it in the basket. She goes, what about me? And I go, listen, that toothpaste tube, it looks like it's strangled to death every night. Roll it from the bottom. Roll it from the bottom. Right? 
So we established in our relationship the ability to talk about stupid things, little things, but also about big things that came up. And I'll tell you what, we've had some tough decisions there were, or d- discussions. There was a, a time in my life as a pastor where I, I was gone four nights out of the week and I was running around doing all these things, helping other people, and my own family was floundering. And my wife told me, she goes, I feel like we're getting your leftovers. I thought, ooh, not something I wanted to hear from my wife. But she was right. So I had to make a change. So many of our families are falling apart. Our children are floundering because the marriages are floundering. The illustration often used for couples is when you get on a plane and they say, if the plane's going to depressurize, what are you supposed to do when that mask pops down? Put it on other people? No, no. You put it on yourself first so you don't pass out. Then you can help more people. And that's what is needed in so many marriages. The oxygen mask needs to be put on marriages so that the whole family can be healthy. God's design works. A couple quotes I like. A stressful marriage demands a divorce. A divorce from your own self-love. Marriage means putting your spouse before yourself. A happy marriage is the union of two good forgivers. Hmm. So for those of you who are married or have a desire to be married, Jesus' words are an important reminder today. That God defined, God created, and God witnesses marriage. And if we let him, God will also sustain marriage. One of the greatest means of grace that I have ever experienced in my life has come through being married to my wife. She is a very good forgiver. (laughs) She has loved me so well. She has taught me so many things about God. So in these brief 12 verses that records Jesus' interaction with the Pharisees, they came up with him, they came up to him with a desire to test him. And his response pushed past the legal front that they had put up and got to the heart of the matter. And that's what God cares the most about. That's what I care the most about, is your heart. And so this morning, if you're in a marriage that may not be legally divorced, but is functionally headed that way, Jesus' words are a reminder of the power and purpose of marriage. And his resurrection power offers us the hope for a resurrected marriage. Now, there are many painful circumstances and challenging seasons in marriage, but the grace of God has the power to soften hearts, to rekindle love, and to transform relationships. And let me say, if you're living in the aftermath of a divorce, God wants to meet you in your brokenness. He alone has the power to give us hope for a restored life, even in the midst of the rubble of a divorce. And this restored life includes children that have been deeply impacted by divorce. And I know this to be true because I am one. My parents got divorced when I was a kid. So I want to pray this morning for our marriages. And sometimes these, to- sometimes these topics are like band-aids that kind of just get ripped off. And what I want to say too, to you this morning, if you are in a place um, where you need counsel, where you need help, where you need just some hope in your life, then that's what the church is about. We want to walk with you. Myself and others on our leadership team want to counsel you, 
want to love you, want to point you to the truths of Scripture, want to get you any help that you would need so that oxygen mask can be firmly in place in your marriage as well. Let's pray together as the worship team comes back up. Father, we ask this morning that if we are in crisis, that we would meet you in that crisis, that we would feel your presence with us. And Father, I ask this morning that you would soften hearts, soften hearts that that maybe are already set on what needs to happen. This, This marriage needs to end. Soften hearts, Lord God, of those that are living outside your design for marriage so that they might fully embrace your good purposes. Lord, you care about our heart. You care about our soul. You care about our destination, our relationship with you. And you care about the minute details of our lives, our marriage, our work, our relationships. So this morning, we might receive from you hope and forgiveness and transformation. Oh, Jesus, we need you so much. We are such a broken people. Would you meet us where we're at this morning? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You've been listening to sermon audio from Sunset Community Church. Sunset Community Church is located in Renton, Washington. For more information, visit our website at sunsetcommunity.church.